0: Good morning and welcome. Thank y'all so much for joining us today. Um, so, so grateful to have little school staff here with us and any visiting families that we do. Um, thank y'all so much. I, I see y'all moving around and hustling and bustling all the time with the kiddos and over here and downstairs and uh, just really, really thankful for the ways that you pour into those kids and how you showed them Jesus. It really is special. Thank y'all. Um, so, Whenever me and Abby were living in Arkansas, there were times where I would need to hurry and get her some food or something whenever she was working. So I don't know how to cook. Um, I just am not very good at it in any way, but I know how to put a pizza in an oven. So I did that and then hastily, because I was running behind, put that frozen pizza, no longer frozen, on a uncovered plate. And so I get into the car, I put the plate on the middle console and I start zooming because I need to get there and get her her food. And as I'm driving by a part of Harding, which is where I went to college, I noticed something that was like a new development that they were doing and I was like, oh wow, that's awesome. And then I do one of those like slow motion look back in front of you and then I see someone about to start walking on the crosswalk. So it's like that slow mo, no! And then I pump the brake as hard as I can. And the moment I do that, the pizza that was sitting in this uncovered plate just went full speed into the front of my dash. I mean, it was pizza sauce explosion, like covering the whole middle area and the steering wheel and the floor and parts of the windshield. I mean, it was, it was pretty intense. And... <laughs> As that happens and internally, I am boiling. like I am so mad because I need to get her food and also, this is gonna be incredibly difficult to clean and, and take care of. I do the nonchalant like wave <laughs> whenever, whenever they're right there. That's not the gesture I wanted to do in the moment. I was so mad. But <clears throat> I then, after, I don't remember what I did to get her different food, I then went home and tried to clean <laughs> every little crevice in which there was pizza sauce all over, and I think for weeks after that, I would still find pizza sauce that has been dried on in places that I just missed, and there probably still is to this day. And I'm sure we all have that experience of trying to clean something, and it's just not coming out, right? No matter how hard we scrub or the products that we use, whether that's pizza sauce in your car, or maybe your kiddos use permanent marker on the wall, and it's like, oh man, now I'm gonna have to paint over this. Or maybe it's a stain in your favorite shirt, right? We all have that sort of trying to get something clean, it's not coming clean. But on a more real note, I think we experience moments or do things that leave stains in our souls. Maybe they're words from a loved one that whenever you're lying in bed, those words just keep coming back into your mind. Maybe you feel haunted by words that you have said to somebody else and you just wish so badly you could take those back. Maybe it's a memory of doing something wrong or something that has happened to you in which you feel this crippling weight of shame. And with things like that, perhaps there's a wrestling that you have with your relationship with God. Like, can God really forgive me? Can God really heal my wounds? and maybe you have a hard time forgiving yourself. There are many moments in our lives that leave a mark on us that we just wish we could scrub out, but it just seems like we can't. So we've been going through a series on the book of Revelation, and which if you're just joining us this morning for the first time, I wanna say this part of the Bible can be really weird, (laughs) and it is really weird. And there's some imagery in this book that can be pretty unsettling or confusing, but if you dig into the metaphor a little bit, the beauty that you see, particularly about Jesus, is just breathtaking. And boy, did you pick a good day to join us because we are hitting a very strange part of the book, but also one of the most beautiful. So if you would, if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter seven. If not, it'll be on the screen. Revelation chapter seven, beginning in verse one. It says, and I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds, so they did not blow on the earth or the sea, or even any tree. So the four corners of the earth is a metaphor for across the entire earth, and they're holding back the four winds, which is a, a metaphor or an idiom talking about judgment. And it says, and I saw another angel coming up from the east, carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels who had been given the power to harm the land and the sea, wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servant. What? <laughs> Some people are like, what is that talking about? So uh, in ancient times, oftentimes people would have a seal on a signet ring or something that would signify a person's uh, ownership. So servants or bond servants of the ancient time they would have some sort of seal from the one who, quote unquote, owns them. Which, uh, that worked a little bit different than how we might understand like slavery today. It was uh, more of a service role as opposed to mandatory um, slavery, but that did also exist. But what I'm saying with this is, it is a seal of ownership. It is showing that on our foreheads, we have the mark of God, that we belong to God. And it's a really beautiful thing. And it also, I think, could be a little bit of a nod to Deuteronomy chapter six, which is the Shema, or one of the most important uh, verses in all all of the Jewish mind, right? It is all about the worship of God and what our lives need to be about. And it says to uh, keep this on your forehead, which if you look at Orthodox Jews, oftentimes they have a band around their head with a little box. That is called a phylactery, which that sounds like a very fun word. But that is kind of a nod to Deuteronomy 6 of keep it to the forefront of your mind. So not only is this something about the identity of the people of God, it is trying to say, hey, to the forefront of your mind, keep God in mind because you are his. And then it says, and I heard how many were marked with the seal of God, 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. So there's a lot of Christian, I shouldn't say a lot, there are some Christian groups that believe that the 144,000 in this book is completely literal. I personally do not think that. I think it is uh, 12 times 12 times 1,000. So 12 apostles, 12 tribes of Israel, which it goes into the 12 tribes of Israel after this section, and times 1,000, which that number represents fullness or completeness. So this is really trying to signify the complete total amount of the people of God, and there's some debate about whether the 144,000 is the exact same as the multitude that comes in verse nine, but I think regardless, the symbolism is the same. This is talking about all people from all walks of life, all over, coming before the throne of God and worshiping him for all eternity. So if we jump to verse nine, which is, this is when it talks about the multitude, it says, after I saw this or saw a vast crowd too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. So this is a very, very beautiful picture of a multicolored heaven, right? Of people of all languages, all ethnicities, bowing before God and worshiping him. And it says, they were clothed in white robes, which we're gonna come back to, and they held palm branches in their hands, which are symbols of victory. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God. Which is what we've read a couple times already in this book, right? The glory of God is so beautiful and so profound that it just makes people wanna fall on their face before him. And in verse 12 it says, then they sang, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, who are these clothed in white? Where did they come from? This, this part is just kind of funny to me in Revelation. And I said to him, sir, you are the one who knows. <laughs> one of the people in heaven is asking John, who is just receiving this vision, like who are these people? like, how would I know? I'm just, I'm here for the ride. You should know this. And he says, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. So the Greek word behind the English word tribulation there literally means pressing or pressure. It conveys this sense of deep affliction. And there's a lot of debate about what the great tribulation is referring to. Some think it's talking about a very specific time in the future, I don't. Um, I I think some of that comes from Matthew 24 and Jesus talking about all these things that are to come such as famine and religious deception and warfare and catastrophes and persecution, right? But those things have been happening forever. (laughs) It's been going on for a long, long, long time. And also, if it is referring to anything specific, it's probably the persecution of Rome to the early church. But um, part of what makes me think that this is a symbol just for all tribulation that we experience in life. I mean, all, these, all these things that are the birth pains of the new creation, the earthquakes, the death, the cancer, all, all these things that are reminding us that this life is temporary, that there is going to come a day when all that's not gonna exist anymore. Um, but What makes me pretty sure that it is not referring to like a certain time period in the future is John himself in the first chapter says he is in the great tribulation, so he's a part of it. So I I think it's a symbol for the hardship of life. Um, And it says, and these ones are the ones that are coming out of the great multitude and out of the great tribulation. Um, They're the ones who have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. And you might, if you're unfamiliar with the Old Testament, you might be like, what on earth is this talking about? Because if you were to take clothes and wash them in blood, they're probably not going to be white, right? That doesn't really make sense. You'd be dealing with some very intense stains. But with the Jewish understanding of this, the beauty behind this is its unbelievable. <laughs> so to begin to understand this, you have to realize that sin is something with a Jewish worldview that makes us become unclean before God. Meaning that we are not at peace, we are not in right relationship with God because of sin. So if someone were to have broken the law or lived unethically or did evil, they had sin in their lives that needed to be cleansed in order for them to have right relationship with God because God is pure and God does not want evil to come into this world. He cares very deeply about justice. So instead of dismissing humans as evil and wiping us out and wanting nothing to do with us whatsoever, he had people make animal sacrifices to cleanse them of their sins. And the idea with this is that instead of us suffering for our sin and facing judgment from God, an animal would metaphorically be our substitute that would symbolically take the death or punishment that we deserve for bringing evil into the world. It was through the blood of these animals that a person would then be considered clean. And priests in the Old Testament, they would also sprinkle the blood of animals in the temple to cleanse it as well. So in the Jewish mind, the blood of animals brought about cleanliness and granted salvation and it made peace between us and God. And you might wonder, And I've asked this question a lot. Why would God, of all the ways to make there be forgiveness and restoration of relationship, why would God have animal sacrifices be the thing that he does throughout the Old Testament? It's kind of strange for our culture, right? But you also have to think about, whenever this was written, this was not strange at all. In fact, this was extremely humane because a lot of Israel's neighbors were doing human sacrifice to appease the gods. So we, we live in a time where we can just go buy chicken at the store and we don't actually have to do the, the dirty deed to kill it, right? So we are in a very different time. And it might be weird to us, but it, animal sacrifice and killing animals for your family's sustenance in life, like that was normal back in the day. So it wasn't seen as this grotesque thing. But animal sacrifices were both powerful and tangible examples of both God's mercy and justice simultaneously. Because the just element of it is whenever an animal is killed, (laughs) your animal and all of that, it is a reminder of exactly what your sin does and where your sin leads. It leads to death, it's damaging, it's destructive, and yet it's a symbol of God's mercy in that this is not happening to you, that God's judgment passes over you. And though this concept of the blood of an animal bringing forgiveness, it might be really strange to us, it made a lot of sense to Jewish Christians in the first century. And ultimately, I think all of the animal sacrifices throughout the Old Testament were really pointing to the single greatest sacrifice and the greatest demonstration of love imaginable. If you would turn with me to the book of Hebrews, I love Hebrews, it's such a good book. Hebrews nine and 10 so eloquently speak of how Christ is the perfect sacrifice for our sins once and for all. We're gonna start in verse 13. It says, under the old system, which that's referring to the law of Moses, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more The blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for sins. It's important to note that this was something Jesus did willingly. He offered himself. This is not putting God at odds with Jesus. He offered himself as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And if it was possible for the blood of goats to help make us pure, how much more the perfect Son of God? And if we jump to Hebrews chapter 10, we read more of how Christ is the perfect sacrifice. In verse 11, it says, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins, at least in a permanent sense, because it just kept happening. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Think about the paradox of this, right? The high priest, who's normally the one orchestrating the sacrifices, is himself the sacrifice. And it says, then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. This is so good. Chapter 10, verse 14 is so good. By that one offering, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Those who are being made holy are those who have said yes to Jesus and are being sanctified, are being transformed piece by piece more and more into his glorious image, which also means that we are not there yet, right? So this is showing... Even though we might struggle in the future, it's not that God has just forgiven our past, he's forgiven our future. He has forgiven the sins of all of time forever. That is so beautiful. The power of the blood of the lamb is indescribable. Christ willingly chose the cross for our sake because he loved us too much for us to drown to let us drown in our sin and our shame. And if you go to verse 19 of Hebrews 10, it says, and so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Through Christ's sacrifice, he has opened a way for us to join and be a part of God's presence forever. (laughs) That's so, so beautiful. His blood cleanses our consciences from our sin and our guilt. And I love that it says we can enter heaven boldly. We can enter heaven with confidence because Christ's blood has washed us white as snow. We are clean in Christ. That is why the ones in Revelation that have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb have made their robes white. Because Jesus' blood makes us clean. Since he was perfect and crucified the power of sin and death on the cross, we who believe him are considered perfect as well. So this morning, you may feel so much shame. You may feel so much guilt. You may feel the weight of your sin on your shoulders. It may feel like a stain that you just can't get out. Maybe there is something or things that you are haunted by, that make you feel unclean. And that is exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. Because the weight of shame and guilt is paralyzing. It can sideline you for the kingdom of God. And maybe some of you feel like you are not in a place to be able to lead or teach other people because you still haven't conquered all these sins. Maybe some of you have felt very hesitant to even step in the doors of a church because you feel like you have to clean yourselves up before you get in here. Maybe you feel so much shame and because of occasional sin that you do, like you can't do anything special for God until you figure all that out. But as Jesus said during the Last Supper, hear his words for you. This is my body given for you for you specifically. Guys, we're all broken vessels. None of us are going to be totally perfect until we are totally made perfect in the, the new heaven and new earth, right? But Christ gave his all for you. Though we can feel so unworthy, he thinks that we are worth giving everything for. God doesn't want you to stay in your shame like it's this prison. So please hear the truth. If you are washed in the blood of the lamb, which as Romans 3 says, it comes by faith in Jesus. If you believe in him, his sacrifice for you, and you surrender your life to him, he has made you perfect for all time. Meaning that all our sin, all our guilt, all our shame is washed white in the blood of the lamb and not thinking that your sin can be forgiven, that the stains of your soul can't be healed in Christ, is saying his sacrifice was not powerful enough. It was not good enough. But as Hebrews said, our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And now because of Jesus, we can enter heaven with confidence. Not because we are perfect, right, because we're not, but Christ's perfect sacrifice makes us perfect. And concluding in Revelation chapter seven, we read this really beautiful end to this chapter. That is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. It is the blood of the lamb that lets us stand before the presence of God. It is the blood of the lamb that makes it to where we will never be hungry and thirsty. Meaning that metaphorically, God is totally sufficient for us and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. The blood of Jesus does a whole lot, especially in the book of Revelation, right? Revelation one says Christ's blood frees us from our sin. Revelation five says his blood has ransomed us, meaning that as humans we have been in captivity and Christ's blood purchased our freedom. In Revelation seven it says that Christ's blood makes us clean and pure and allows us to stand before the throne of God. Whoa. (laughs) But that's not all, that's not all that the blood of the lamb does in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 12 it's also one of the ways in which we defeat the dragon which if you're not familiar with the dragon, which I wouldn't expect you to be necessarily, is representative of the devil and really all forms of evil. The blood of the lamb helps us conquer. Because of the blood of the lamb, sin and death have lost their power over us. Because it makes us pure before God, it cleanses us of our sins, and it gives us confidence to approach the throne of God all of that together, that enables us, that mobilizes us to live for the kingdom of God. Because what can the dragon really do if we are covered by the blood of the lamb? In Revelation 19, there's, that's a chapter a lot of people just try to stay away from as much as they possibly can, but there's this beautiful picture of Jesus as this conquering force, riding a white horse, and behind him is the army of the lamb also wearing white robes. And and it makes you really think about Romans eight, about how we are more than conquerors in Christ. Like we really are victorious whenever we are covered by the blood of the lamb. And we overcome, we conquer, not through the force of Rome, not in the ways that people have done in the past. We conquer by being like Jesus, by being a servant of all and giving up our lives for the world so that the world may come to know him. And I think it's so easy for Christians to fall into this trap of treating the blood of Jesus like insurance, that I'm gonna live my life however I wanna live it, but you know, I've said all the things, I've been baptized, I've done all the rites, and I'm gonna do what I wanna do and then whenever I die, Jesus is my contingency plan and I make it to heaven anyway. but there's really no desire oftentimes to want to be a living sacrifice for him. I think about that song we just sang, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. We oftentimes don't live that way. And it's not that we can ever repay Jesus for what he did, right? But I wanna live a life that's worthy of the sacrifice that he made for me. It's really amazing, and I stand in awe of the dignity that Christ gives all of us (laughs) as we were washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. That, specifically for me, that Christ cleansed me even though I spit in his face. And it's like, I can't just sit on this and do nothing with it. It's one of those things, like, how can I not give my life for Jesus because of everything he has done for me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but really, I, th- I think there is something <laughs> that we all need to latch onto with this. Like we're not just trying to come and punch some time in church. We're not trying to check the boxes so that we can turn in our resume to God and he'll be like, yep, 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 you did good. God is offering us so much more. The blood of the lamb helps us conquer. We can do so much through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do so much through the power of Jesus because there is victory in the blood of the lamb. And what would it look like if you as an individual and if we, as a church, were to walk in the confidence of the blood of the lamb, because we can enter heaven boldly, right, as Jesus covers us. If we were truly able to rest and believe that God loves us that tremendously, that he would give himself for us, if we believed that and we walked into that, whoo, that'd be powerful. What if we actually believe that Jesus can bring healing to all the stains of our souls. I believe there is nothing more that evil would want than for you to keep believing that you will never overcome this stain. You will never overcome this sin. You will never overcome this shame. You are going to be trapped in that forever. But oh, the fear, <laughs> the fear that would be instilled by the force, from the forces of evil if you started walking into your God-given identity if you started walking into the confidence and the courage of the blood of the lamb, you would be a force to be reckoned with and the gates of hell would be terrified. So what if we were a church that started believing it, started believing in our bones that Christ's sacrifice makes us worthy and that we can truly overcome the forces of evil, not because of ourselves, but because we are covered by the blood of the lamb. So this morning, um, if you would like to be washed in the blood of the lamb, uh, worship team, y'all can go ahead and start coming up. If you wanna be washed in the blood of the lamb, if you wanna give your life over to Jesus, you wanna place your faith in him, and you wanna walk out of here as a conqueror, that can be done today. We're gonna have people lined up uh, around the room that are gonna be able to receive you and pray for you regardless of whatever is going on in your life. And if if you would like prayers of encouragement to live out your faith more, if you want to walk as a living sacrifice, if you want to live a life worthy of what Jesus has done, and again, we can't repay that, right? There's no way we can repay that. But if you have anything you would need prayers for, any need today, any stirring in your heart that you'd like to give over to God, please make it known and and go to uh, the people that'll be around the room during this next song after this prayer. Um, But thank y'all so much for being here. Lord, we thank you so much for your sacrifice, your perfect sacrifice once for all time. That it is the sacrifice that covers us from all of the evil stuff that we have done in our lives. And it's the sacrifice that covers the stuff that's going to happen in the future. (laughs) That, Lord, your sacrifice really is perfect. And I pray that through the Holy Spirit, you sanctify us and you transform us more and more into the image and the likeness of the Son. Help us to be people, help us to be a church that walks out of this room and believes in our identity that you have given us through your blood. Lord, help us to believe in our bones that we actually can overcome the sin in our life and the shame in our life whenever we give it to you. And it might be a lifelong journey. It might be really, really hard. We might not want to do the work, but Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to take all of this and bring it before you. Help our church. Be a church that is sanctified. To be a church that is washed clean by the blood of the Lamb and lives out into that identity. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you for the sacrifice and the greatest demonstration of love that you would lay down your life for your friends. Help us, Lord, to be a living sacrifice in your name. Amen. I shall stand.